Hi, welcome back everybody to the EYE show. I'm Dr. Sandy Laura Kramers at Visionary Eye Doctors. And thank you everybody for tuning in and for subscribing to this podcast. Thank you to those of you who have sent suggestions. We really appreciate it. So today we're gonna talk about one of the most common things we see as ophthalmologists is tearing. We have a lot of patients that come in with various kinds of symptoms, uh, but tearing is a kind of frustrating one because it does affect people's lives in, the term, in terms of people continuously ask them, why are, we tearing? why are you tearing, why are you crying? And it's not their fault per se, there's actually sometimes uh, obviously anatomical component to it. So we're gonna talk about tearing, which is also known as epiphora, and something called conjunctival calasis. It's a very long word, which we abbreviate CCH, conjunctival calasis. We're going to talk about that today, but I have to tell you the story because it was um, very interesting to hear that this, this morning. So we, um, I like to go pray every day at mass every day, and I heard this story from uh, one of the priests, so I wanted to share it with you. So you can fast forward this if you don't want to hear this part, but this is a true story about two saints named Saint Perpetua and Saint Felicity that lived around 200 AD. And they lived in Rome, and both of them refused to pay homage to the emperor of Rome at the time and to the, the Roman gods. And I think all they were required to do, according to this particular story, was just pay homage for five minutes. Just like, you know, kind of bow down and pay homage. And they refused. And it was one of those things that they refused to the point that they were slaughtered. They, they, they were killed. And St. Felicity was... Uh, pregnant initially and then she had a baby so she was the mother of a newborn infant and her father who was pagan not christian begged her on his knees and, and like at her feet please just for five minutes all you have to do is just pay homage to this to these gods you don't that's all you have to do and you can go back being your christian self afterwards but just for five minutes and she just couldn't do it because it was against her conscience so the mandate was everybody had to pay homage and she refused and her fellow Christian, Felicity, was eight months pregnant when this mandate came out. And same thing, she just, she was Christian. She couldn't pay homage to these gods. So they were praying, obviously, that she would be, give birth to the baby before she was killed. And I think two weeks before, she actually gave birth to this girl, uh, baby girl. And then she was soon after sent to the... Um, to the uh, gladiators. First, I think they tried a bunch of different animals in this kind of arena, and then the gladiators finally killed both of them. But I wanted to share that because I think a lot of us, especially in this time of COVID, it's been really tricky trying to figure out what's the right answer. And I think through the history of the world, if you go back, you know, 2000 years, it's always been about kind of having a free choice to, you know, say some things against your conscience. So I think we should still continue to stick to that. So I have to just say that because I really think it's kind of important. And I know it's not related necessarily to the eyes and tearing and what I want to talk about today, but it's something that I heard today and I wanted to share it with all of you. So those, that's kind of my, um, my opinion for today. So anyway, so going back to tearing, so if you know anyone that has tearing or if you have tearing after surgery, uh, obviously let's take a look and see what's going on. So here is an example of an eyeball and we're gonna go through the basically the two reasons why you have tearing. There's essentially two reasons why the tears are not going into their natural place. So tears are supposed to go into the puncta, which is located near the nose. There's two of them, there's two holes on each side. So there's one, two, three, four on both sides of the nose. They're located inside the actual lower lid and upper lid. It's a little hole. So if you see an eyeball, like the one I'm showing here on the YouTube video of this, you, there's a little kind of eyelid underneath and there's a little hole that goes into the nose. So the tears drain from the eyelid into the nose usually. 
And so there are two reasons why that apparatus or that whole system doesn't work. And then the tears run out the edge towards your ear sometimes or down your nose or they just keep tearing. And that's a very common complaint in older people. You'll have, uh, you know, the sibling or the, I should say the children of, of patients come in and say, mom or dad constantly looks like, you know, she's crying. And it's not so much crying, it's just they just can't pool, those pool tears don't, don't clear. So the two reasons, number one is an unstable tear film. And that means something with the whole system of the tear, which is meant to lubricate the cornea, the front window of the eye, is abnormal. We're gonna go through all those parts in just a few minutes. And the second reason is some type of obstruction or malfunction of the canal that goes between the eye and the nose. And that can be related to either previous trauma or surgery. It could be that the, the orifice, the opening of the puncta is getting smaller with aging, or the person was born without a very big puncta. It's called, the little opening is called a puncta, and it's located right in this corner right here and then up here. Or the puncta is closed, or there's a tumor either on the surface of the puncta, inside the canal, or in the nose. So there's some type of obstruction. And so generally what we first do when we're trying to treat tearing is first address the tear film instability issue because that's the number one component that can cause it. If those treatments don't really help, then we will check that apparatus that's supposed to drain the, the drainage system. Sometimes we'll check that. So for the surface component, we've talked about the tear film having three parts, the oil, the water, and the part that mixes it together called the mucin. So the oily part comes from the eyelid called the meibomian glands, they produce the oil. The water comes from the lacrimal gland, it's a gland located under the orbit kind of towards your ear location, this is called temporal kind of towards your ear. And so there's a little gland here under the orbit called the lacrimal gland and that produces the watery component. And the mucin is on this clear covering of the white part of the eye called the conjunctiva. You've heard of conjunctivitis, we've gone through this before. The conjunctiva is the clear covering of the white part of the eye that can have various types of goblet, has goblet cells which produce mucin. And mucin is that molecule that mixes oil and water because we all know oil and water don't mix, but the mucin has this ability to mix it, which makes the tear film stable. So that means when you blink and you open your eyes, the surface is coated so perfectly, so there's no dry spots, and that should usually last about 20 seconds, but of course we want you to blink more often, but that tear film is crucial. So if there's something wrong with one of those three layers, then you can have tearing. The number one reason would be the oil is not working well, meibomian gland dysfunction, or the oil's not coming out, or there's a lack of oil, or there is inflammation at the orifice of the oil gland, or there's a sty or chalazion blocking that oil gland or scar tissue, or there's rosacea that is causing inflammation blocking that oil gland, that's number one. Number two is reflex tearing because the tear film evaporates too quickly. So if the eye senses dryness, it's gonna send a signal to produce more watery tears even though there's no oil. And so the lacrimal gland will produce more water, but if there's no oil, then it's just gonna keep on producing water. That's called reflex tearing, and it's one of the dry eye symptoms. And so the third thing that can happen, the, mu the mucin layer is an issue, we just don't understand it. So we call it kind of the last frontier of the tear film because we don't have a good way to image it. We don't have a good way to measure it. We don't have a good treatment for it. So we're, it's like we know the mucin layer is really important, but we don't know much more about it so far. So the third thing that we always look for is the conjunctiva, how it's attached to the white part of the eye called the sclera. 
If there are folds in the conjunctiva, it's called conjunctival calasis. It's a Greek word for meaning relaxation of the conjunctiva. So the conjunctiva, the clear, it's kind of like saran wrap on the surface of the white part of the eye. It should be kind of flat. You shouldn't see any folds. It's almost as if it's not there. You don't notice it. You notice it if there's folds. So usually the folds you'll see in the corner of the eye. Sometimes you'll see it in the na nasal part, the nose part, sometimes in the middle. You can even see it sometimes flopping over the eyelid if it's very severe. And there's gratings of conjunctival calasis. And what that does is it traps, the conjunctival folds trap the tear film so it doesn't lubricate the eye. So it makes the tear film unstable. So we're gonna dive into conjunctival calasis a little bit more because a lot of my patients do have it. And we wanna talk about how you treat it. So the, that's the first, as I mentioned, cause of tearing is an unstable tear film. Briefly, the second part, the drainage system is not working. The external drainage system of the tear uh, duct is not working. So if someone doesn't get better with initial treatments for unstable tear film, like warm compresses, blinking, uh, doing the massaging, cleaning the eyelids from any demodex mites, using artificial tears or either restasis or uh, Zydra or Sequa or even atolic serum or PRP drops or any of that, that's not helping. Uh, or just initial stages, we'll have them come back and assuming that the puncta is not completely closed, uh, meaning that we need to do surgery right away, we will irrigate the canal. So we'll put in a syringe, no needles, just put it right into the little hole and just irrigate it to see if somebody can taste the water going into the throat. If someone has a taste, when we do that, we know the punct is open. It could be that the system that the kind of, we, we think there's like a peristaltic system or there's some type of system that kind of pushes it, might not be working, but it's open. And most likely they won't need major surgery. If they don't taste anything, there's some blockage. Most often it's located at the puncta, the initial opening. And we just do a very quick 10 minute procedure, just open the puncta with scissors under a surgical technique, sterile technique, and then the water, the tear can get into the, to the nose more easily. If that doesn't work, then they need to see an oculoplastic surgeon to do a bigger surgery, either with a stent or with something called DCR, which stands for Dacro Rhino something or another, DCR, uh, which basically you open the whole area and they recreate the whole canal. Uh, so that's something sometimes is needed. So that's a different podcast, we'll go through that later. But talking about that first issue with tearing of the unstable tear film, conjunctival calasis is pretty common, so we're gonna talk about that. Let me just mention that sometimes if you have an irregular cornea, if you have keratoconus, if you have some type of uh, what we call bullous keratopathy, which you have these kind of bubbles on the surface of the cornea, the window of the eye, which can be related to previous cataract surgery, that, of course, can cause tearing as well. If somebody has narrow angle or angle closure glaucoma or glaucoma, that can cause tearing as well. So that's because usually there's an unstable tear film or there's something irregular with the, with the actual uh, surface or inflammation. So conjunctival calasis is common and increases as we get older. It is due to the detachment, the like saran wrap covering of the white part of the eye has attachments to the white part. And that, as we get older, or from chronic rubbing or contact lens use, where the contact lens touches the conjunctiva, it kind of moves as you move. And when you move your eye, it moves. That will cause this micro trauma, which will detach the conjunctiva from the sclera. In most patients, it's not an issue. And this is where it's kind of important to go to a surgeon who doesn't really have a vested interest in any type of procedure 
because I've seen surgeons jump into conjunctival cholesis repair where they might have, the patient might have done well without treating that. So most of my patients don't need to have their conjunctival cholesis treated to get rid of their tearing or their symptoms. Yes, there is a percentage that do. We've tried all the natural and all the medical options and then they need surgery. But a lot of patients can get away with really working on their tear film to make it more stable so then the conjunctiva folds are not overwhelmed and then cause the tearing to occur. There's a couple of exceptions. So if the conjunctiva calasis is bulging over the eyelid or it is covering the puncta, the opening where the tears go into the nose, if it's covering that, then yes, often we have to treat that to kind of get rid of the tearing. But I'd say about 85% of my patients don't need conjunctival cholesis repair, even if it's there. And they do well. They can manage their symptoms. If you do need conjunctival cholesis repair, how do we do it? So there are basically, let me just confirm, there are four ways. Um, yeah, let's kind of, let's go through the, let's go through the, uh, let's go through three ways. This will be easy. So number one is topical, just drops and lubrication. Some people will even patch at nighttime because it'll help with the tearing in the morning. So just topical kind of medical treatment. The second is a laser option. And the third is surgery. So the topical we try first, as I talked about, lubricating. Sometimes people will even patch, like I mentioned, with ointment inside the eyelid. The second is called an argon laser, where we use an argon and we basically try to the folds on the surface of the eye, we try to use the argon to basically thumbtack the conjunctiva onto the sclera again. So you're trying to make these tiny little kind of points of pressure where you scar a little bit of the conjunctiva to the sclera so it won't move so much. And that is pretty effective in most patients. It does get rid of redness of the conjunctiva calasis, which it can cause, and it can get rid of actually the folds. If there's too much conjunctival cholesis, too much folds, then often that's not gonna help. So the treatment for the conjunctival cholesis with laser sometimes requires multiple sessions. Most insurances cover it, which is great. So that can kind of be an option for that. The third option is surgery. Within surgery, there's various options, and I'm just gonna briefly touch on it so you can understand what the options are. The first that was performed was just excision. But then people would have problems, if, especially when they use suture, would have problems with infection or what's called a granuloma, which is a kind of scar tissue around the, the, the suture or where the surgery was done. So then people, the surgeons started moving to something called fibrin glue, where we don't use sutures anymore. So we will cut off the extra folds, tighten it and flatten it, and use fibrin glue to tack it back down to leave a kind of flat surface on the sclera, and that works very well. Another option is using amniotic membrane, and this is my preferred option. Amniotic membrane, we know, is very, very healing for cells for multiple reasons. There's two key reasons. Number one, it provides the, what we call, non-controversial embryonic stem cells. The baby's been born, the placenta is about to be thrown out, but we can you know, harvest it for, uh, for, for, for surgery, and of course, it's been checked for all diseases, and we use it to basically heal directly the damaged tissue. And you've heard me say before, when a baby has surgery in utero in the, in the mother's womb, uh, has even open heart surgery or major surgery, the baby's usually born without any scar because the amniotic membrane heals the surface epithelium so well. So we've been using it in eye surgery for more than 25 years. Very, very helpful. So we will cut off the extra folds, uh, put either a layer of amniotic membrane on top, use fibrin glue to tack it back down. It really can look like the patient had no surgery at all. So I love that particular type of surgery because I think it's the best. 
There's a, another way that's been uh, doing it, uh, doing it called high frequency. Let me just say it correctly because we're, we're starting to do it. High frequency radio wave electrosurgery, where you use basically a cautery in, underneath the folds to basically cause the heat to cause cell lysis, which means that you're going to basically tack down that extra fold onto the sclera because of the way this kind of heat probe works. The only concern, and there's been no randomized controlled studies comparing what I think is the best and high frequency uh, surgery. There's been no randomized studies on patients saying one is better than the other. They're probably both effective. What I really love about the amniotic membrane component is putting those extra new cells on the surface of the eye, helping those cells heal your damaged cells. And there's something called cell-to-cell -cell contact where when you have a new embryonic, uh, non-controversial embryonic stem cell touching your cells, it seems to wake up your own cells to work better also, so which has been kind of exciting research. So I think that's probably the best, but the high frequency option is also attractive because the recovery time is very, very low. The risks are very, very low. What we don't know is what is it doing to the goblet cells, to the mucin layer. And we won't know that probably for another five years or maybe three years. So. If you were looking at the mucin layer, the goblet cell population, I wouldn't be surprised if the one with the amniotic membrane has a higher number of goblet cells than the radiofrequency version. But the studies have shown that patients on both arms do very well in terms of getting rid of some of their symptoms. So those are basically the key things with conjunctival chalasis surgery. So what can you do to prevent conjunctival chalasis? So for most millennials and young people, they have no clue and no desire to prevent it. But I highly recommend you do. So it happens as we get older where you start to notice it. Some young, young people that are contact lens wearers or have a history of allergies and are rubbing will come in with it more uh, earlier on. So things you wanna do is avoid rubbing the eye. You can pat, you know, when you're doing your warm compresses, we say this, or just gentle massaging, but don't rub with this kind of twisting motion of your hands. You're trying to avoid that because that will literally, over time, you can imagine that shearing the clear covering over the white part of the eye, the conjunctiva, just basically moving it with the mechanical friction that will cause problems. Contact lens use. We always want patients to minimize their contact lens use. Do not wear them, ideally, more than a few hours a day. Obviously, we have people that wear them 12 or 14 hours a day, but really try to take weekend breaks. Take them off as soon as you get home. When you can, don't use them. Use your contact lenses for contact lens-worthy events because I guarantee you, if you live long enough, there will be a day where you cannot put in that contact lens anymore because it's too uncomfortable or it just won't stay in because the conjunctiva chalasis can literally just not prevent the contact lens from staying in the eye. So those are the two key things. Uh, of course, we want to work on the tear film. Make sure your tear film is doing well with the warm compresses, blinking, a good diet. I have no data on this, but it makes sense to have a good diet to keep your cells healthy, and that includes your conjunctiva. So those are the key things with conjunctival chalasis and tearing. I hope this was helpful. Please keep continuing to send me suggestions. I really appreciate you all doing that, and have a great day.